19th, 2019 edition of On Iowa Politics. Because of busy schedules this week, we're recording on Thursday, or truth be told, I just wanted to go on vacation Friday. This week, disavow <laughs> AARP and healthcare and exploring the second district. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good afternoon, Brett. Yeah, good afternoon. That's different to say. Yeah. <laughs> Ed Tibbetts of the Quad City Times. Good afternoon, Ed. Good morning. <laughs> a habit there, huh? I'm a traditionalist. <laughs> yeah. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good afternoon, Aaron. Good afternoon, James. Although, just to keep the routine, I still just woke up for this about a half hour ago. All right. <laughs> and Gazette columnist Todd Gorman. Good afternoon, Todd. Good day. Good day. All right, it is. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, Iowa Carnage. Republican Party of Iowa Chairman Jeff Kaufman has confirmed that Donald Trump did ask him to publicly disavow the results of the 2016 caucuses. Ted Cruz won those caucuses with 28% of the tally. Trump finished second with 24%. For bonus points, who was third place finisher and how far behind Trump were they? <laughs> I I know, but I only because I just did the story. I, okay, hey, go ahead. It it, it was uh, uh, Marco Rubio was just another point behind, right? Twenty three percent. Twenty three percent. Yep. Wow. Aaron, yep. uh, fill us in on this uh, disavow situation uh, with uh, the Cruz campaign or Trump claimed the Cruz campaign. Wow, that's a tongue twister. Uh, <laughs> cheated. The Cruz campaign won the caucuses yeah, by and, cheating. Right, right. And uh, when this happened at the time, it was um, covered. It, we had heard about it, and it got some news coverage that uh, just before the caucuses, uh, literally in the, in the days leading up to, um, uh, came out that uh, the Cruz campaign um, had been sending um, messages, uh, um, voice messages, text messages to supporters saying that Ben Carson was going to drop out of the race immediately after Iowa. Um, and so because of that, they should, um, the, the Cruz campaign said to their supporters, so, so get out that word, spread the word, and, and tell people you know who were planning the caucus for Carson um, tell him, you know, he's going to get out anyway, so you should come over and caucus for Ted Cruz instead. Um, I, it turned out that Ben Carson was not planning to leave the race immediately after Iowa. He stayed in for um, about another month or so. Um, it wasn't true. The Cruz campaign said at the time that they were basing it on information from um, a couple of national reporters' tweets about Carson not going straight to New Hampshire, going home first. Um, so, so anyways, it, it was all, um, you know, uh, you know, some classic, um, uh, political, uh, goings on. And, and, um, at the end of the day, um, when this came out, um, then candidate Trump was upset about it. Uh, he, he made public comments at the time, as I said in the story, he tweeted a couple, a handful of times in the days after, um, and he tweeted that he thought that um, that the, the Iowa caucus results should have been, you know, nullified. That Cruz should have been disqualified. 
Um, what we found out, what's new in Alberta's book, is that he also, Trump, called Iowa Republican Party Chairman Jeff Kaufman and asked him to disavow um, the, the caucus results, which is uh, obviously, uh, for obvious uh, reasons, they're a pretty big deal. Um, Kaufman told, uh, told Trump that he could not do that. Part of the reasoning he gave was the, the last time out, the Republicans had a pretty ugly, um, night, uh, reporting caucus results when they, um, um, in the wee hours of caucus night, uh, reported that Mitt Romney had won. And once they finally went through the dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's, turned out that Rick Santorum had won. So, um, they were coming off of that episode and for them to turn around and, um, you know, go through something like disqualifying the winner, um, wasn't something they were ready to do. Um, so, uh, that was the story in Alberta's book and, and, um, uh, the Republican party of Iowa essentially confirmed that this week when they said the book did provide proper context to the story and that they wouldn't be making a comment on it. Todd, given the direction the Republican party has taken since the, those, bygone days of the 2016 caucuses. Uh, if the president asked Jeff Kaufman to disavow the 2020 caucus results, uh, do you think the response would be different? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that there will be any 2020 caucus results, really. If, you know, I suppose someone might come to vote for Bill Weld or, or uh, maybe, I forget who the other, the, the governor who was thinking about running and some of those others. So Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I don't, yeah, I don't know if that'll be necessary, but I think this time he probably, you know, what's the old expression? Ask me to, you know, you say jump and I say how high. Ask me to disavow and you say how quickly. Maybe that would be the. Well, Mark Sanford's <laughs> going to get into the. Oh, race. Mark yeah, Sanford! So I forgot uh, all about that. You know, he yeah, he's the, the Appalachian Caucus. I think is the trail, <laughs> so he's going to walk all the way up here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, if uh, President Trump doesn't get 100% of all uh, votes cast in the Iowa caucuses, he might uh, want the results disavowed. Well, you know, even even in, you know, the Soviet Union, I think didn't they only get, only get into the 90s yeah. with their vote total. Uh, so you don't want to, I mean, you don't want to make it look too, you know, 100% would be, the, I think that would look right. That wouldn't look right, no. No, not at all. Moving right along, all about health care. 2020 Democratic presidential hopefuls were all over Iowa this week talking about health care. It was a prominent part of the conversations at the Progress Iowa Corn Feed Sunday, where it was so hot that they didn't have to grill the corn. Uh, the health care rim shot there. <laughs> the health care was front and center at the series of AARP <laughs> forms um, and at former Vice President Joe Biden's Siouxland events this week. Uh, Ed, uh, of course, health care is a priority for AARP, you know, the older folks here in Iowa. Uh, but does the fact that 20 Democrats were willing to engage uh, on the topic suggest that this is a winning formula for them in 2020? Well, it's a better issue than impeachment. Um, I, I mean, in, look, in, in 2018, we saw Democrats um, across the country and in Iowa, like Abby Fingenauer and Cindy Axney, talk about these kitchen table issues, and they were successful. Um, they didn't talk about Donald Trump. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I, I think that that's a model that there's a lot of Democrats who are eager to follow in 2020. And, you know, in a presidential election year, there's, there's a different electorate. I get that. Uh, but, you know, I, I, polls seem to suggest that on health care anyway, um, 
you know, Democrats do a lot better than Republicans. I saw an AP poll earlier this year that said Democrats had nearly a two to one edge over Republicans when people were asked who they trust more on the issue. Um, I, I would suspect that in Iowa, um, it's probably that much different. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think if they're smart, they'll talk as much about that, about kitchen table issues as they can. Does the idea that, uh, well, even some of the Democrats are making uh, that doing away with private insurance for 150 million Americans or, or more might scare voters who would otherwise vote for a Democrat? Well, see, there's where it, where it gets interesting. Um, the AP poll that I referenced um, said that more Americans favored the idea of a public option where people could buy into a government plan rather than uh, rather than a Medicare for all option, which in some instances means doing away for, with private the private insurance industry. Um, even 44 percent of Republicans in that AP poll said they favored a public option, and that you know that's nearly half. So, you know, I it. it of course, with any issue, it matters about how you talk about it, uh, and I'm sure, and we've seen it already, Republicans will try to uh, take uh, uh, the Democrats' message on uh, health care and portray it as socialism. Uh, and, and I think that to be successful, um, Democrats are, are, are going to have to um, be very wary of what, what it is that they stand for and, and, you know, and not let an issue that they do have a natural advantage on um, wither away. Well, and we're hearing that uh, among the Democratic candidates, uh, some warning, you know, that uh, if they go, if, if they follow a plan that does away with private insurance, that uh, Trump will be shouting socialism, socialism. And, uh, well, he already is. <laughs> and I think he's probably going to be doing, and I think he's probably going to be doing that anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, uh, but you don't want to give him a lot of uh, ammunition. You know, I will say at the same time, there is a lot of enthusiasm, I think, among Democrats for the idea of a single-payer health system. Uh, so this is a debate I think we're going to just sort of watch take place all the way through the caucuses and then to whoever gets the nomination. Brad, uh, in Siouxland appearances this week, former Vice President Joe Biden seemed to be aiming for some sort of a middle ground on this health care issue. Um, how, how did that go over with voters? Uh, or do they think he's got the right idea? Yeah, well, I, I can't say that I have a, a huge sense of that. Um, the, the place where he was set to discuss um, the health care issue um, was in Lamar's, and it was a forum. There was a roundtable with like seven or eight health care professionals there, and and he was running about 90 minutes late on that day, and I had to write two stories from two from two appearances, so I, I, I booked it down to Sioux City for the second one. But um, I did have a chance to talk to some people at the end of Sioux City, at the end of Sioux City one, and um, people I spoke with after that one, which w would have been his second speech on the day, um, it was more they were more discussing his tone and discussing climate change and and education, other issues like that. So I didn't get a sense, at least, you know, in, in the conversations I was having of, you know, what, what do you, what did you make of his speech and, you know, what, what did you like about it? The healthcare thing wasn't brought up, but I mean, uh, in Lamar's, he said that he thought that, that, you know, that's a bridge too far for Medicare for all. Um, he thought, he said it could hurt rural hospitals and he was at a rural hospital in Lamar's when he was saying that, but I mean, absolutely that his position puts him at odds with, you know, I guess you'd call it the more progressive wing of the party and and um you know there's there's other other democrats in the field that you know are, are definitely going to be throwing that out as an option and, and he's definitely i guess you'd say more moderate uh, in the field at this point on, on that issue todd uh, ed, ed mentioned the the enthusiasm for a single-payer plan among democrats 
is this um, Medicare for all, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, a single payer health program? Is that an all or nothing issue for Democrats? Well, I don't. I don't think it's an all or nothing issue. I mean, it's, you know, there some some are passionate about the single payer health care plan, but I, I think a you know almost all Democrats are passionate about beating Donald Trump. So, I don't know that you're going to go to battle with a proposal that vast stretches of the American electorate don't want to do. And I think that's what Joe Biden's trying to do. I mean, he's he was in the Obama administration. He's been through the war that they went through just to do. The Affordable Care Act, which compared to single payers, is fairly modest. I mean, you know, and that was look at what that was portrayed as, and and the the advertising and the you know the the crusade against that w was was pretty formidable. So uh, I think you, I've seen polls where the public option polls pretty well. It's been it's been polling well since they didn't put it <laughs> in the Affordable Care Act. So that's probably where the consensus is in the country. That's probably where Democrats could maintain their advantage. I understand, you know, where, you know, Bernie Sanders and, and and Senator Warren and others are coming from on that. I mean, you look over the landscape of the healthcare system and you can see the advantages of, of, of making dramatic change. It's just whether the country is ready for that and whether that's going to be the sort of issue that you can go into a what's promising to be a pretty tight presidential race. It seems like this might be one of those uh, issues uh, that as Bernie Sanders would say, gradualism is maybe the the prudent approach where, you know, there there's a seems to be a lot of support for a public option. And maybe that's the next step in health care, assuming Democrats win the White House and the Senate, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a, a big assumption. And then maybe single payer sometime after that. It well and if the president wins then he, I, he's got this a great plan that we're gonna find out after he wins. Sure. Sure. So I there's can, that to look forward to. I can hardly wait. Yeah, right. <laughs> Stop me if you've heard this before. Actually, don't, because we're going to talk about it. It seems that every election cycle we talk about the fact that Steve <laughs> King's challengers raise more money than he does. Brett, this year it's GOP challengers who are putting up some impressive numbers. And King, uh, King reported that he had, um, what, pocket change as he heads into a, a four-way primary battle. I know you're uh, keeping score, so so give us the line on this race. Sure. Okay. Um, so I guess the reason we're talking about this is on Monday we had another mark for another three-month filing period was done, and so we're done with the second quarter. And in the fourth, or I'm sorry, in the yeah, in the fourth congressional district up here, um, Randy Feenstra led in the first quarter, and Randy Feenstra again led here in the second quarter. Um, he came out of the shoots real big in the first quarter with 260,000. Uh, dollars, um, which was the, I, I'm trying to think, uh, it was the most um, for any Republican uh, primary for a first time, for a first time candidate, for opening quarter for a first time candidate, sorry. And um, second quarter, he had um, 200, I'm sorry, first quarter, <laughs> 260,000. In this most recent quarter, he had 140,000. And Steve King raised more this quarter than he did in the um, in the first quarter, but it still was only $91,000. And, and when you, you said, I think it was a pocket change, you said um, the eye-opening part was um, his cash on hand was only 18000 So he also, at the end of the first quarter, had 18000 cash on hand. At the end of this quarter, he had 18000 cash on hand. So basically everything he he uh, brought in in revenue, he, he spent over the course of the three months. So um, So not a lot of money. 
um, in his pocket. And, and down, just, I want to make sure I mentioned the other two people in, in the race um, in pretty paltry amounts. But Jeremy Taylor raised 10000 for the race. He's from Sioux City. And then um, Brett Richards, he's from Irwin, Iowa, raised 5000 So very small amounts there. And um, uh, Feenstra con- continues to, to lead the way. So what's Steve King spending his money on, do you know? I mean, is he running ads? Is he doing direct mail or? Yeah, not, I mean, he, well, the one thing we know is his, um, his campaign team, the last couple cycles has been his son, Jeff. So, um, um, Jeff King is, you know, that, that he's on the payroll and doing things, but it's, um, I mean, he's holding town hall, town halls, which are from his congressional account. Um, I have to confess, I didn't dig into what, what, you know, where, where that money is going. Um, so I, I don't have a solid sense of that. Sorry. Todd, as I said, we've, we've seen this before where uh, King's challengers are raising more money than he is. And, and is he sort of sandbagging his uh, challengers here? <laughs> I don't, or is he really in trouble this I don't, time? I don't think so. I think he might be in trouble now. Is, is he going to lose? That's, a, that's, another, that's a whole other question. But he certainly is in a sort of primary. Well, he's in a primary that he hasn't ever had before, a competitive one. Uh, and he, yeah, he's. I think the the fundraising. I mean, you know, there was a, there was a lot of uh, heat put on different entities that gave him money during the two thousand uh, around the two thousand eighteen election when he was when he caught the criticism for the the remarks to the New York Times and and a lot of the you know corporate interests and people who had donated to him over the years got a black eye and you know in public and and so that probably figures into this in some. Ways, even though King's not known for his his fundraising prowess, that that probably has hurt him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Randy Feenster's racking up some endorsements. He's 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 you know raising money. Uh, it it seems like maybe the the establishment is going to start maybe coming his way, and that's you know, that's obviously bad news for Steve King. But you know he's got his loyal following. He's going to portray himself as as the insurgent that speaks the truth and people just don't want to listen to him and and I have a feeling there's some voters out there that will respond to that and so you know is he is he is he done for no but he's certainly you know getting a very stiff challenge after after getting a stiff challenge in the general election last time hey Brett I'm just wondering uh is King doing any uh fundraising off of his uh spat with uh Senator Ernst uh where he called her out for her comments about the, the president's racist tweets. Um, I mean, is he going to double down on that and, I guess, ask his true believers for some money? I mean, has he done that yet? He he typically, right, and that's only that's only been two days, and and, yeah. and I usually see most of his fundraising appeals, and I haven't seen that yet. But um, I mean, behind your question, he typically does use these, you know, whatever whatever the latest news cycle is as a. As a as a means to, to go after some funds. Um, um, so I guess we'll know in the next few days if, if he's going to go that direction on this particular one. We also have some uh, breaking news out of uh, this 4th District race. Uh, Bob Vanderplotz, the, the president of the family leader who grew up in, that, in northwest Iowa in the 4th District, what is now the 4th District, uh, just announced his endorsement of Randy Feenstra. Um, I, I, like I said, it just he just announced it, but uh, will this move the needle in that race do you think brett well i mean certainly there's there's people um from up in you know the very strong red 
Republican districts, you know, Lyon County, Sioux County, up through here, O'Brien County, who who have a lot of regard for Bob Vanderplatz and and what his you know what he stands for, you know, as, as far as social conservative, fiscal conservative, and um, yeah, I mean, I mean, people will notice that. Um, you know, I, I think as um, uh, as Todd said a few minutes ago. Um, you know, maybe some more endorsements will, will be coming Feenster's way, and maybe some of the so-called establishment will, might come Feenster's way. You know, and that's that's never happened before. You know, that didn't happen. Like when Rick Vertan ran against um, King in 2016, that was a very, very short, um, you know, I think it, he came out in March, and it was only like a three, three months till that primary. You know, here Feenster's got basically a year and a half where he can build his support and, you know, build up his money and everything. And, you know, and, and that one, the establishment totally behind King all the way down. So uh, not that Bob Vanderplatz is considered establishment, but it, it, you know, he is an endorsement and he is someone that, that again, as I said, has holds a lot of sway with, with, with some people of, of you know, the, the social conservatives of the, of the Republican party. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving across the state to the second district. Uh, the question is, is the fourth time a charm? State Senator Marionette Miller-Meeks is exploring a race for the U.S. House in Iowa's 2nd District. Specifically, she's trying to decide whether to run for the seat, now held by Dave Loebsack, who is retiring after 2020. Ed, uh, you know the 2nd District. Uh, is it Miller-Meeks country? Um, well, it has been in the past. I mean, in terms of a Republican nomination, um, she's um, she's been the nominee uh, a couple of times, and, uh, uh, and she's not been successful. Um, but um, you know that's that's you know what this next summer and fall is is going to be about is trying to figure out whether Marionette Miller Meeks can make a uh, a case for herself just like uh, Bobby Schilling, who um, you know is the former congressman from uh, Western Illinois who now lives in Leclaire, and who said that uh, he plans to run. It, you know whether he can make a case for himself. Um, it, it sure looked um, you know just not too long ago like Schilling had a. Uh, uh, a fairly clear path, even though, you know, we don't have filing deadlines for some months. Um, but with Miller Meeks now um, considering it, um, the picture gets a lot cloudier. So in a race uh, between a, a three-time loser and a carpetbagger, uh, who wins? <laughs> so so uh, I, I would imagine those are words that we'll probably hear um, should they decide to face off um, uh, from from both of them, um, uh, and certainly from the Democrats, um, I, I don't know who wins. I mean, I think that uh, uh, you know Miller Meeks. I think obviously uh, starts off with better name recognition. Um, uh, Schilling could cure that um, with money and time, um, but you know he, he's going to have to answer uh, for being a, a, a fairly new Iowan. Um, and uh, and she's in a primary in particular is going to have to um, uh, make the case that uh, she, that that Republicans want to take another chance on her in a in a general election. She's not been successful multiple times, and um, and so she's going to have to make that case. And at the same time, um, you know, Schilling is going to have to explain. I mean, he lost twice to Sherry Bustos, so uh, you know, it's a different state, a different district, but um, he he too has been on the. Uh, uh, the losing end of the uh, 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 he, he's lost twice. Um, he, he represented uh, Western Illinois um, just for one term when he won in 2010 against uh, against Bill Hare. Um, so they both, 
you know, go into this race with, uh, you know, with uh, um, questions uh, to be answered. We could say baggage, but that would, you know, wouldn't it be fair to <laughs> to Schilling, would it? Uh, <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, it's time for us to move our baggage here. It's this. That's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it's been worth your time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Fan mail may be sent to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Faces Turn Ashen will take us out. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Ed, Brett, Aaron, Todd, and our producer Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening.